appreciate you, Amen. Well, I'd like to say a couple of things before we get into the message. Uh, just like to first of all say uh, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your support. Uh, just it's always humbling to come to a church and somebody will say, uh, "Brother, I pray for you every day." And uh, that is very humbling and very needed. Uh, I, I would say that this last term that we had was the hardest. I thought that I, you know, we'd done battle with the devil before, but we had never met our enemy like that. And it's, uh, it was obvious to me that he was out to take me out. He was out to take my wife out. He was out, I mean, one by one to get my kids and to get our church and to get our men. I mean, it was on. And there were a couple of times that just God did little things and you knew that people were praying. And I just, you know, folks, this, this work, the work of God, I mean, as far as us gathering together and having a social club here, we, anybody can do that. But the work of God does not go forward without faith and prayer. I mean, that's just how it is. And, you, you know, you just won't grow as a Christian until you kind of figure that out. Uh, there's something about just getting at the feet of Jesus Christ and just worshiping Him. Amen. And allowing him to change you inside out. And as you begin to make those changes and grow, uh, he answers prayer. Amen. And then things get done. And so it's an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17 while you're turning there. Again, just thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the, um, the accommodations. I mean, the, that trailer over there, we've sp stayed in a lot of places, okay, and and it's almost like going to some place where somebody lives. And, but it's, anyway, somebody, whoever takes care of that, has traveled. <laughs> that is obvious. You're very uh, hospitable and accommodating, and we appreciate that. Um, all the little details, they're all there. Who, who does that, by the way? Who? The Bradleys? Bradleys. Anyway, good job. Good job, you know. It was, I really appreciate it. And um, so what else? Just, um, just thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for keeping the doors open, amen? That, you know, we keep getting these dear missionary letters. You know, sorry missionary, we can't support you anymore because we just couldn't deal with our junk. <laughs> And had a church split, and we just can't support missions anymore, and sorry. So, you know, anybody who's in the battle fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil, and keeping the doors open, and trying to win their community, and do something overseas, that's something nowadays. You know, it really is. And uh, this post-COVID, the stuff that's going on in the world, I really, really appreciate Pastor, his wife, the men that are behind him, you know, the people who give to keep this thing going. Uh, God bless you. We only got a little bit longer to go, folks. Amen. <laughs> I know we've been hearing that a long time, but <laughs> I, I really believe that. This thing is coming together. It's wrapping up. It's, uh, wow, things that are happening I would have never thought uh, would happen. And uh, so tonight, Lord willing, I've got a uh, slide presentation that it just kind of threw together at first. A couple pastors asked me, hey, brother, would you come here and just uh, tell us your take on what's really going on, you know? Uh, because nobody trusts the, 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 the news media anymore, which kind of opens you guys up to anybody that says something opposite or different than CNN, ABC, NBC, and all the rest of them, you're ready to swallow that. And that's not always the truth either. Uh, there are people that, you know, study psychology and human behavior pretty well. And uh, anyway, they're definitely ahead of the curve. But there's an interesting biblical perspective that will be uh, given tonight from, you know, if whatever you value the point of view from a guy that's been over there for 30 years, if you value that at all, come tonight. <laughs> Amen. And uh, maybe give you something that you've um, not seen before. Plus, give you a little bit of uh, an understanding of the, 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 the back story to this war, at least the human side of it. And then giving you an insight of uh, Ukraine in the Bible. Ukraine's in the Bible. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. 
And uh, it's kind of wrapped up with prophecy. I'm going to show you some of that tonight. So if you come back, uh, we'll talk about Ukraine and the war and where I believe this is, uh, where this is going. But this morning, I, I, believe, I believe I've got the mind of God about what to preach this morning. And we're going to try to preach two messages simultaneously. We'll see how this turns out. <laughs> and uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we'll just begin, we'll just get right to the verse rather than read the whole passage. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse uh, 29. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, um, it is just, uh, it's just good to be saved, Lord. It is so good to, Lord, just know you. It's so it's just such a blessing to know where we're going when we die, to have salvation, and Lord, just to know that we're on the right side. And uh, Lord, just thank you for, for this church. Thank you, Lord, that we can meet together and that we don't have to hide. We're not in the woods somewhere. We're not at night. But Lord, uh, this beautiful building, and the wonderful weather, and the freedom that we enjoy, and all of the work that the Lord, this the men and the families and the women that have sacrificed before us to, so that we could have, Lord, and enjoy what we enjoy today. Just thank you for answered prayers. Thank you, Lord, for, for it all. And it's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, you said that where two or three are gathered together, that you're in the midst. And Lord, um, Lord, help us and just remove from us all of the the problems, the cares, the troubles, Lord, all the worries. Lord, just help us to just get this, everything that's about us and everything's about this world, and just set it aside and help us to just look at you, to look at your word, and Lord, and allow you to do in us uh, the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray that if someone's here that doesn't know you as Savior, that, Lord, the gospel would be understood, that it would be clear, and that, Lord, they receive you as, Christ, uh, as Lord and Savior. And Lord, if um, there's a Christian here that uh, you're just working on and you need this, Lord, I just pray you use this message to minister and to be a blessing and a help to your people to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory for it, Lord. Just love you. Thank you again for what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we have, uh, we have this you know, familiar passage whenever you think of David you say David and, you know, Goliath. This is this defining moment. Every once in a while in the Bible, you'll have a situation where a man uh, is just in this moment. All of the events, the people, the place, the time, everything kind of, you know, comes together. It's like the, the moon and the stars, they all line up. And uh, here all the universe is just looking at him, this one man in this one moment. And this moment, you know, it really defines David for the rest of his life. We are always, like we said, we remember David and Goliath. And praise the Lord, we remember that and not David and Bathsheba. We don't really, praise the Lord, think that way. But the Bible does bring it up every once in a while, right? And so, you know, he's a real man. He's got real problems. But uh, man, what a victory. What an amazing story, the, the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I've heard preaching, and we've all heard preaching about the giant in your life. We've all heard the, you know, the, the typical sermon with the five stones and the five brothers, all that stuff. And uh, we, I want to kind of look at this passage from a different point of view. I would like to kind of like on two sides of the coin look at it positively and negatively. And, uh, and kind of a hope be used of the Lord to minister to God's people because, you know, these defining moments. I think this is kind of a defining moment in the body of Christ. Where, you know, this is the end of the church age. This is the moment. I mean, it's kind of coming up at the end. And everybody's like, you know, I'm sure the angels of God are in heaven saying, come on, you know. Do you see the time in which you live? You know, just seize the day. And, and all that stuff. And, you know, just we can have some real heroes of the faith. And I think that the body of Christ is desperate for heroes. Absolutely desperate. I see some of the, oh, you know, they just fall over goo goo gaga over, you know. I'm like, you know, the, anyway. 
if he's your hero, okay. But they're desperate to see somebody who will believe God and take the book and live the book, you know. And so Caleb is another one. He's a guy, we think of him, and he's, give me this mountain. That's a defining moment. You look at Samuel, you know, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I mean, that kind of defines him, right? How many of you have prayed that prayer? You open up your Bible and speak, Lord, right? Uh, the blind man, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. There's all these stories in the Bible that kind of define the man, and uh, this is David's moment. And it all kind of comes down to this. I, I'm looking at the passage and read the passage many a times, and, and it all kind of seems to culminate right here. Where David says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now we see, here we see, you know, two armies. They're all set in array. The battle's in array. They're, they've taken the high ground. There's a valley between them. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a war going on. There's a battle. And army here, army here. And there's only one young man, as far as I can tell, at least amongst God's people, that has a cause. He's the only one in the passage that has a reason to live, a reason to fight. He sees the importance of the moment. Okay? And you can look at this passage and, and have a like con, 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 contrast, contrast uh, him with the rest of the men in the army, and you realize that, uh, wow, some things kind of float to the top, that there's some obvious um, symptoms, I would say, of a life without a cause. And you can see that in this passage amongst God's army. And uh, man, do we need men with a cause. You know, we need men in this hour who will open their eyes and see what's going on in the world today. And as far as the enemy, well, the enemy has come but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. That, that's their cause. I mean, I just got, I downloaded, I mean, they just sent me another 80 pictures. Brother Alosha with Brother Ilchenko. Uh, we sent money over there. So far, it's been close to $90,000. I'm just a funnel. Money comes in, and it goes over there. 30 tons of food, all this clothing, body armor, all this stuff, you know. And praise the Lord for it. You know, a church sent 5,000, you know, 10,000. It's just, you know, we're, so one church gave us $30,000, and it's just, it's gone. It's over there. It didn't go for anything else but to help people who are in dire need and need the gospel. Amen. I mean, just buys them some food enough to get them through a week or two, just a little bit longer. I mean, and they came back with all these pictures, and oh my goodness, I got all these pictures on my phone, and they just said, you know, some of these towns were totally blockaded. There was a blockade, there was nothing that came in, nothing that went out, the Russians took it, and those people had to live on whatever they had in their pantries for a long time. People died, people starved. And whenever the Russians left, what did they do? If they were walking on the street, they just picked people off. There are some things, some atrocities that you and I would, it would never enter into our minds to do this to another human being, much less kids, okay? And then whenever they left, he sent me just picture after picture after picture of these towns. And as they were leaving, all they did was just lob grenades and shoot rockets into civilian houses. Why? to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Now, the enemy's all about it. And don't you think for a minute that the devil doesn't want to kill, to steal, and to destroy yours and you. Amen? This is a real deal, folks. Life is serious. And you better figure out what life is about. This really is a dressing room for eternity. There's some serious consequences coming. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a very sobering day. But boy, you've been given 
the right of the firstborn. Co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, you got an inheritance in Jesus Christ that is unconditional, okay? You got that. You can't lose that. But in addition, there's some extra benefits. But you're going to have to fight for those. Amen? You're going to have to struggle and fight. And like I said, there's a guy who wants to steal it all from you. And you're going to have to learn to fight. And if you're going to fight, you better have a cause. So David has a cause. The enemy has a cause. But you look at God's people here. You see symptoms of a life with no cause. And here we find in the first symptom in verse 1. Turn to chapter 17 and verse 1. It says here, And now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. So they had a cause, and that's just to destroy God's people and whatever God's doing. And, and we're gathered together at Choco, which belongeth to Judah, pitched between Choco and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And there's the first symptom. It's found in that word array. The root, what we get the word raiment. You know, it's all about outer appearance. They set the battle in array. That means that all the men were dressed right. They had the armor on, right? They had the helmet on. They had their shields, their spears, whatever, their swords, whatever they had. I'm sure they had, it looked, they looked good. Marched in place, stood where they needed to stand. They were an army. They looked like they meant business. They look, but you know something? Day after day after day, they didn't mean business, but they certainly did look good. And we live in a society today that is all about likes and thumbs up, right? It's about image over substance today. It's all about what people see about your life on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all the rest of that stuff. You, you have young men today who are having psychological breakdowns because they can't take the perfect selfie. It's pathetic. It's absolutely disgusting. And, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the word. We're, 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 we're moving away from words. And the Antichrist in the, in, in the tribulation has an image. There's substance versus this, what it looks like. We have a people that used to, in this country, think, reason, and read. To now they just react to images manipulated by a news media and a propaganda machine of the government. That's all that's going on. And you're supposed to be above that, folks. You're God's people. It's not what you see, but it's what's on the inside. Now, these guys were dressed. They looked serious, but they were not serious. You got David. He doesn't even have any armor on. And he had what they did not. He had some substance. He had character over reputation. The reason why some of uh, God's people don't do anything is because you just don't have a cause. You put the outward and the temporary over the eternal and the internal. The next thing we see in this passage is in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. A life with no cause is a life of just playing it safe, living comfortable. The enemy's over there, right? I mean, I understand that everybody in a battle wants the high ground. You're going to have the advantage with the high ground. But with God, it's already the high ground. Okay? You can take the battle to them. But here they are, over here, and there's a valley between them. They were far, far from the action. But they sure did look good. You know, they had uh, this thing, this phrase on the trolley buses and the trams and the trains. 
in the public transportation system in the former Soviet Union, and it was, you know, just it kind of could, it could be understood as just don't stand out. You know, it meant don't stick your hands out and stuff like that, but, you know, it could be twisted a little bit, and it has another meaning in Russian to be, to be just don't stand out. And that's all this world wants from you people in this church. Just conform. Just keep your mouth shut. Just go along. You know, that's all. That's all they want from you. You know, just and, and play it safe. Why gamble? Why take risks? Well, David, man, he, he took risks. You know, David had a different thing about him. He had a cause. And, you know, talking about the, the outward appearance, I mean, you can con contrast what these men are all about versus what David was about. Look at verse 28. And Eliab, his elder brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. So the one guy that actually has a cause is the, is the, the guy who's receiving all of the anger. You see that? And he says here, And his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? So he's questioning his motives, criticizing him, judging him. And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride. Wow, that's kind of an assumption. And the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You know, judging his motives, judging the reason. I mean, he went down there because his dad told him to go. You know? So, having a cause will help you overcome criticism. And folks, if you're going to do something for God, you're going to stand out in this age. And you're going to be criticized. You're going to be judged. You know, you better embrace it. You better just wrap your arms around it and own it. Because some of God's people are nothing but professional sideline critics. You know, that's all they do amongst the missionaries. Compare this missionary with that missionary and this guy over here with that guy. And Is that all you're about, dude? What, you're a professional critic? Go do something. You take some risks. Yeah, you look good, but I don't see you doing anything. I'm sorry. I've, I had to learn something the hard way. I no longer listen very much to what a guy says. I watch what he does. Okay? Had to learn that one. A couple knives in the back later, and I learned it. But anyway, a symptom of a life with no cause is just living too safe. No risks, no willing to sacrifice. And you know, if you're going to live the Christian life, it's not going to get any easier in this, in this age. You better figure that out pretty quick. we got some real enemies. And you know, if you're going to do right, you know, you're going to have to take some risks. You might have to risk losing a friend for just witnessing to them, telling them the truth. They'll thank you later, you know. Make some risks of being misunderstood, misrepresented, risk of being thought of as a fool. You, you street preachers understand that. They don't get it. They don't understand, but they will. Amen? Got to rise above the moment. Do what's right, and God will bless. You know, I think David just kind of summed up the situation and said, you know what? This is a win-win thing for me. I can be the first guy out there. And man, if, I, if he kills me, well, I'll be known as the guy that at least died trying. Amen? <laughs> and then maybe God will just have some mercy and give me this dispensation of grace. And man, it just, then I'll be known as the guy that killed Goliath. And it worked out pretty good. <laughs> you know, um, I think what was this, Jim Elliott said, he is no fool, right, to who, who, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He had it. Look at verse uh, 11. Look at verse 11. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear. They were afraid. Look at, um, look at verse 32. 
Contrast that verse of the army with verse 32 and see what David says. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with his Philistine. He had no fear. Why? He had a cause. You got a cause? What is your cause? What's your reason for getting up, going to work another day, staying married another day? Not giving up on those kids. You better have a cause. Amen? Uh, you know, sometimes, I guess in the Christian life, I wanted to add a couple of illustrations here. And just sometimes the Lord does things. And I don't always understand what He's doing. I just got a real good dose of being able to kind of sense the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't always know what he's doing. I just know that he's doing something, and it's like, yeah. You know? And when that happens, sometimes you can beat on your chest, right? Like Tarzan, stick your neck out a little bit and say, God, <laughs> I hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of scary. You go to a former communist country in 1992 and look at a city of a million people and it's just you and God. And God says, win them. You got no money. You know, we didn't do deputation at the beginning. We had eight meetings. So we got, so I, 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 Prayed and fasted for a long time. So the kids, you don't quote Brother Rue on this, okay? Don't go to your pastor and say, well, Brother Rue did it. <laughs> but we literally dated two weeks, and then we got engaged. And then we got married one month later. So you say, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. My daughter, you know, I said, I didn't really love her. She didn't love me. She said, I didn't, didn't know him. Right? Amen? It wasn't any of this Hollywood. <laughs> but there was extreme respect. I had a lot of respect. She lived the life. She walked the walk. I checked that out. Does she have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And is she going to serve him? And I saw her working you know, on the street street preaching and stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, God can definitely get in this thing. Amen? She's called to the mission field, I'm called to the mission field, it's like, hey, why not? Right? <laughs> We're going to have our 30th wedding anniversary um, in three days. So, 30 years, is, I'll put it above your Hollywood track record. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Why? What's the difference? Well, Jesus Christ is the difference. The Word of God's the difference. Prayer's the difference. Sacrifice is the difference. And so we go, you know, to the mission field. And, and you know, so I got married um, the same weekend that we graduated, PBI. <laughs> so we got, we got to, uh, graduated Friday night, preached Saturday, went to church Sunday, got married Monday. On Memorial Day, 30 years ago. And we had one month as normal people. And it was over. <laughs> the normal stuff was over. We had, uh, I think, eight. I counted eight meetings. And we had, uh, I believe, it was $800 a month promised. It wasn't coming in. But we just had a nest egg uh, from our wedding. People gave us money. said, somebody needs to help these people. And I had some money in it, like a nest egg, which disappeared pretty quick. And we went to the mission field, and we stayed for five years. Risks. Fear. I woke up one morning like 10 years later and said, what were you thinking? <laughs> but did you see the pictures? If I had waited, remember those pictures? She's in heaven, she's in heaven, she's in heaven. If I had waited to do deputation like normal, they'd have never heard. And God took care of us. Why? We had a cause. We have a cause. Isn't the Lord enough cause for you? Isn't what he's done 
for you on the cross of Calvary? Isn't that worth kind of overcoming a little fear, a little discomfort, taking some risks? Amen? Not living according to the outward appearance and overcoming some criticism in life? Anyway, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was at a couple of times it kind of got on. It was, there was one, one time I went there and just started kind of figuring out these people. And, you know, 80 years of communism, militant atheism, where it was intimidation, manipulation, threats. I had to minister to one woman in my church who actually had her children taken away because she would not renounce her belief in God, in the existence of God, not the gospel. Just she was a school teacher. Somebody turned her in because she got on their kid and the, the head teacher called her in on the carpet and said, hey, you know, we're the Soviet Union. We don't need God. You look up the word God in a Soviet dictionary, the first thing it says, a myth, a fable, a man-invented idea. But our USSR uh, scientists, we sent the first Sputnik into outer space, and we didn't see any God out there in heaven. You know, militant atheism. Are you listening, America? Nothing good is going to happen whenever you put atheists or practical atheists in the driver's seat of a country. It's just not going to happen. But anyway, they took her kids away. Lost her husband, lost her job, uprooted her, sent her way out into the country to live. She kind of went a little bit touched, but you know what? I remember that sister standing up, and people were kind of criticizing her a little bit. And she stood there. She's about that tall, that little hat. You know, she always had that hat on, really, really proper. And she stood there, and she was like, I will not let the devil in my house. I was like, amen. She had a cause, paid a price. But, boy, I think she's going to clean up at the judgment seat. Anyway, I was there and just looking at the eyes of these people and wondering, is God real? Is he, does he answer prayer? And God had answered our prayers and, you know, just, just neat things that God did. I remember just trying to figure out faith and God supplying our need. And I remember just asking God for juggling money and trying to figure out how to get money for a plane ticket for a survey trip. And I got it down to $500. I asked God for $500 and literally a check in the mail came for $500 the next day. And I was like, wow, you know, this really works. And then uh, my plane ticket cost $837. And like two days later, after my juggling money and trying to figure things out my way, I had a friend of mine call me and said, you know what, you were back here at Christmas time. You mentioned something about going to, uh, on a missions trip. Are you going to go? I said, yeah, I'm going to go. He said, you didn't know this, but I've been saving for your trip ever since Christmas. And throwing money in a, in a box in the corner of my room, and I just decided to count it for the first time, and it came to $838. Cool stuff, you know. What God did. I, God, we went to the mission field and preached on the street, met a woman in Bulgaria, and she's like, come to Ukraine, please. And so I got to go to Ukraine, and God confirmed the call while I was there. And I was like, man, I just want to stay in Ukraine, but I know I had to go back to Bulgaria. But the thing was, is one of the things that the Lord did was all we had was an address. Didn't speak the language. Got on a boat. You know, we found out the week before that they had just let down the visa qualifications or requirements. You could pay 50 bucks and you could get into Ukraine, a former communist country. They gave me visa number 666. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was having the time of my life until I saw that. And it was like the devil knew. And it was on July the 4th, our Independence Day, in 1992, visa number 666, and just, it was kind of wild. And so we got off the boat to the port. We found a guy just giving out tracks, and a guy got us on a taxi, and the taxis took us to the, 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 the phone booth, which back then, they didn't have a whole lot of phone booths, and you had to go, and they would monitor your calls. And on the door, it had the hammer and sickle, you know, it was just communism. And we tried to get in touch with this woman that invited us and was pleading with us to come. And, and man, it was just kind of like, where am I? This is a strange place. Police state. The spirit of oppression was so thick you could cut it with a knife. It was very thick. 
And uh, we got from there to a tram, from a tram to the train station. And it's just like long lines, a city of a million people with these strange words and strange language. And somehow we got in the right line and got the right ticket to be on the right train. <laughs> and when we had an address and we just kept, this was our knowledge of Russian. <laughs> you know, we had an address. Where do we go? And they would sign back. Their English was, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> we rode that train for two hours. We went where no American had ever been before. Seriously. We thought, okay, they said, get off, get off, get off. So we got off that train, and we're in this town looking around. What in the world is all this about? We went up to some people, did our, our Russian, you know, <laughs> and they were like English. <laughs> get on the bus. And that bus was pulling away, and we rode that bus for about two hours. Everybody got off eventually. There was one big, tall, skinny young man, had a hat on it, said USA on it. We thought, okay, that might be a sign. <laughs> And uh, they were really optimistic about America and stuff back then. And we went up to him, showed him the, the address, you know. And he said, Sin. He got this puzzled look on his face. He says, Sin. And then we had to figure out that the word sin, which I thought sounded like sin, right? <laughs> I thought it sounded like he was a sinner, and so I gave him a tract. <laughs> I did. I guess pulled in my pocket, gave him a tract. Turns out sin in Russian means son. He just happened to be the son of the woman that invited us, and then just God took us the rest of the way. Preached all over the place. All over. They snuck us across the border where a war was going on. I mean, all this stuff. We came back. We disappeared off the grid for about three days. Went back to Bulgaria. Had this prayer meeting, and I mean the Holy Ghost of God showed up in a very unusual way. And all you knew is that God was doing something. And I prayed, and I was like, God, I just want to go back to Ukraine. I want to go back to Ukraine. Can I have some way to go back to Ukraine? And then, like I said, in Sunday school, we got a call from Dr. Ruckman. His meetings in Romania fell through, and he wanted to come. And I got to go back to Ukraine with Dr. Ruckman and watch him work, learn some things. You know, saw God answer prayer and then trying to teach those people that prayer is real and that God hears. And boy, did they ever need to have faith in God. Amen. Just to provide for their daily bread. And one day, you know, it's just like they needed rain so bad. And we were fighting the cults. It's like the JWs were there, the Adventists were there, the Pentecostals were there, the Orthodox Church was there. And they were all picking off our people. And, you know, I was just, we were fighting this battle with all these different denominations. And people, the people themselves were like, you know, they're confused. Everybody's holding a Bible. Everybody's saying, you know, that they believe in God. And what's the truth? And these people just came out of atheism, communism. And I thought, you know, God provided this and God did that. And God answered prayer here. I'm like, man, we can get a prayer answered. Amen. They need to see. You know, they don't need all the dispensational truth right now. They need to know that God exists and God hears their prayers. And they needed rain. They needed rain to live. And so I said, you know what? I got kind of under conviction about it. And I said, you know what? It's time to kind of stick out a little bit. I said, let's pray for rain and kind of thundered from the pulpit. You know, God's going to give the rain, you know, <laughs> right? And they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll pray, yeah. Amen. And then I went away back to university in Odessa because we, it was a, for me to go to church, you know, one way was like a two-hour trip. It was a lot of miles, a lot of hours. And uh, I come back the next week. Did, uh, did the rain come? Uh, I was like, ooh, ooh, you know. And I said, um, I looked at them and they said, well, they said one of two things. Some people were like, yeah, it's kind of what the communists said. There is no God. Or it was they didn't understand God, and they were like, he's, um, he's angry with us. We're getting exactly what we deserve. God's angry. He's mad. And I looked in the eyes of those people, and I was like, Lord, if you don't do something, I'm going to look really bad. 
this is going to be hard, you know, thundering and preaching that, you know, there is a God and he hears our prayers. Amen. It's real basic stuff. Do you pray? I mean, beyond God, thank you for this day and bless this food. You know? Hope you've grown a little bit more than that in your 10 years of salvation. But anyway, we're talking about fear and sticking out, and, right? Taking some risks. We all had taken some risks and thundered that God does here. And you know what happened that morning? <laughs> Taught Sunday school. Then it was time for the main service. And I opened my Bible to preach. And there wasn't a cloud in the sky when I showed up that morning. And right at the time that I opened up my Bible and started to read, and I kind of got cautiously optimistic, and then I started getting a little bit more excited. I'm like, I don't want to shout it out just yet because I might look like an idiot. And then by the, by the end of that day, God sent a rain, and I mean, it lasted for hours, and that exact rain that those farmers needed for their fields. And they came up to me, and we rejoiced. Oh, man, revival broke out, and we rejoiced, and we were like, thank you, God, and all this stuff. And then one, one guy came up to me afterward. He was actually, anyway, he, his mother suffered terribly for Christ. He came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know, everybody in this town was praying for rain. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Adventists, the Pentecostals, the Orthodox, everybody's praying for rain. But he said, did you notice when God sent the rain? He said, I noticed that God sent the rain when you opened that book. I don't know. You say coincidence. You, you, you think about it whatever you want. I think it's a cool story about the power of God trying to prove himself to some people that really needed to know him. That he does exist, he does hear their prayers, and he's good. Amen. You have to overcome some fear, you know. Look at verse 16. i got to go move on. Verse 16. i got to go back to the other message here. Look at verse 16, he says, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Forty days. What is that? Just going through the motions? Routine. Hiding behind routine. That's a symptom of a life with no cause. So that means that for forty days, those men got up, they strapped on, they had their feet shod, their loins girt, put on their breastplates, they had their shields, they put on the helmet, they had their weapon, their sword or their spear or whatever they had in their hands. It means that they marched in place, in cadence, right? It means that they did what they were told, they stood where they were told to stand, they set the battle in array and they looked good and at the end of the day they tucked their tails between their legs and they marched home after listening to the blasphemy and the challenges of the, of the enemy's champion, and they did nothing about it. And they were just going through the motions day after day after day after day after day, 40 days, hiding. I'm just doing what I'm told. This is my life right now. Playing it safe, going through the motions, routine. And David overcame a purposeless life by... We have these pictures or these views into David's life and he was just reading the scriptures and being inspired and prayer and singing to the Lord and being faithful in small things like del delivering cheese. You know? He had a purpose. And when the moment came, wow, he rose to the occasion. He wasn't just going through the motions. I think a lot of God's people hide through that, from that, or with, by that. It's hard, folks. You gotta, I don't know, I hope that, are you getting this? 
Let's move on. Verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep and the keep, uh, with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. You see that? What is that? They're shouting. This is God's army shouting it out. So they set the battle in array. They stood in their place. And what did they do? The captain said, okay, boys, let her rip. And it was, Aah! Hopefully it woke some people up this morning. It's getting a little bit warm in here. It's like a, a warm church is a death to a preacher. It's rough, man. I, I, I get it, okay? I learned this from Dr. John Rawlings. He said the first thing he does when he walks into a church is he looks at the church thermostat. <laughs> That's kind of funny, but anyway. Some practical things to preaching, evidently. But yeah, here they are. What are they doing? They're shouting it out. They look good. They're even, you know, doing that, you know. And if you're a man, that kind of helps you out, doesn't it? kind of gets, I don't know, there's things called glands, this pituitary and the thyroid and all the other kind of things just start working together and it excretes, you know, testosterone. Maybe if you just kind of, it kind of help you out a little bit, right? You don't have to take all those pills, <laughs> you know? And we teach my, my, my kids we, a little bit. I, my, my wife's a black belt. I, I would love to have, get my black belt in Kajikembo, but that's just probably not going to happen. I did get a brown belt, but anyway, she's a black belt. Family's a black belt. I'm a loser. <laughs> but uh, so we, we trained. The war broke out, and I, and I realized that, you know, there's a lot of crime out here. And we have, my, my son has been attacked twice. I tell him, you know, we cannot be soft targets. You always secure the perimeter at night. Never go out alone. And, you know, of course, teenagers are invincible. Dad doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, kind of a thing. And so Ben goes out because he's six foot four and weighs 200 pounds and can, you know, bench press whatever it is and lift all this weight. But, you know, what happened? He didn't listen to Dad. And a guy jumped out, had a knife, and cut him up a little bit. But he did do the kajikembo, a couple kicks to the head and... The only thing he didn't do is he didn't recover the knife. I was teaching him, recover the knife, you know. So I'd get those plastic knives and those, those you know, clubs, and I'd tell my daughter and, and my sons, I'm coming at you, okay? Get ready, here it comes, and then they have to defend themselves. Well, it paid off, you know. Ben got attacked, and he was able to protect himself a little bit in Jesus' name. <laughs> and then one night, somebody broke into our house, and I always tell them, secure the perimeter, lock the doors at dark, and... And somebody just, yeah, Dad, I did it, and they didn't, you know. And then so we're all in bed, and somebody get, comes in the house, comes right in the front door. And Ben comes out of the shower with his towel on, so we called him the Spartan, you know. <laughs> and I'm just going to sleep, and I hear a, hey! And then all of a sudden, psh, and all this fighting going on downstairs. And we get up, and I, we're not allowed to have guns, so I have a baseball bat. I got an aluminum baseball bat right there by my bed. And, I mean, we're down, the, and there's Ben, you know, he's cut up again. And he uh, threw a tape measure at the guy, missed, and hit a thing. And so the guy started, you know, flashing at him. And he, and he cut, recovered and kicked him a couple of times. And then the guy ran, you know. So anyway, the point is this, is that we were training in martial arts. And getting back to the shouting is that you, you know something about some fighters. Is anybody in here, you guys train anything? Okay. <laughs> so you know, you know there's, the, there's this thing called the ki that you can immediately kind of tell who has a fighting spirit just simply by that ki. They got something that some of these other people don't have, and it's the, you know, <gasps> you know, it's that thing comes from in here. And so you have to teach people how to have that ki. And I remember, you know, my son Christopher, you know, his feet are all messed up, they're like this, and he's he had a rough birth and all this other kind of stuff. But we line him up against the wall and we kind of, you know, find your ki and we'll you know, hit them in the, in the, in the gut a little bit until they find it. And he's, ah, ah, and he's kind of releasing it up here. I'm like, no, it's got to be from down here, you know, the, huh, and all that kind of stuff. And so one day, man, he found his key eye. We were like, you know, come on, Christopher, you got to find your key eye. And he, boy, he found it. It, it, it went out there. It was like, wow. 
he found his key eye, and I was like, that's my boy. And he blushed. I mean, it was like something came out, and he was like, he just spread his man wings and started to fly. Amen. <laughs> it was great stuff. Great stuff. Anyway, so here's God's army. It's kind of like some Baptist in a revival service. Right? Glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you don't mean business. When the shouting's over, when the church service is over, and it's time to kind of get in your little groups, what are they really talking about? Look at verse 25. This is what's really on their minds, really on their hearts, in their conversations. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Have you heard the latest? From CNN, ABC, NBC? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. Have you heard the latest? From Hollywood and what they said about us Christians? You know? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. They're talking about money. And will give him his daughter. They're talking about advancing their kids in life. And make his father's house free in Israel. They're talking about tax deductions and retirement accounts. Isn't that what they're talking about? When the shouting's over, this is what's really in their hearts. What is that? Symptom of a life with no cause? I'm not talking about, hey, how do we take this guy out? Right? Anyway, empty words and intentions. And time goes by, folks, living a life with no cause, and those dreams grow cold. One of these days, I'm going to win souls. One of these days, I'm going to read my Bible through. One of these days, you know, I'm going to give. And one of these days, I'm going to do this and do that. And routine and fear and image and all that stuff all work together and just rob you of day after day and month after month and year after year and then you turn around and you're 60 and you're 70 years old and what happened? No cause. And then it just kind of ends up with verse 24. You know, David here is not about empty words and intentions. He's counting the cost. In verse 25, he's counting the cost. He's rehearsing things. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? And then in verse 26, and David said, spake to the men that stood by him, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away his reproach? He's like, what? He said, is it not a cause? He's counting the cost. That's what Jesus Christ taught us. Count the cost. Pay the price. Then you reap the rewards. Here and hereafter. You know, but in verse 24, we see this. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. What were they? They were victims. Victims. Life has a way, if you're not careful, the things that happen to us in life, if you're not careful, you'll start getting to the end and you'll have a long, long list of grievances and offenses and pain and things that the body of Christ or some Christian did to you or somebody in the world did to you and it'll paralyze you and stop you from doing what God wants you to do. You got to watch out for that stuff. You have to get the victory, folks. You cannot let it stop you. You have to keep praying, keep reading your Bible, Keep witnessing to that one stubborn individual. It takes sacrifice. It takes paying a price. Whether it's months. I mean, I, I have a brother who we didn't grow up together. He practically was almost insane. He went into the Army Rangers. He was a sniper in the Army Rangers. He had all these like 50-something missions. And he flipped out, came back to the States, and then went down to Peru. And he's been down in Peru almost 13 years. And I was trying to find my dad. I didn't grow up with my dad. Every once in a while, I lived with my dad. My dad was a rough man. He ended up in prison, killed a man. Found him in the prison down in Houston, Texas. And I found him through my brother, using social media. Don't stone me with stones. 
That's where I got it. I was trying to find my family. You know? Long story short, I mean, a, a five-minute conversation just burned my ears. The blasphemy, the F-bombs, the GDs, and this and that and the other. And, you know, you tell your other dad, I said, you know, he was a bitter, bitter man. PTSD, I mean, alphabet soup, buddy. All these things that happened to him. And then ever, over time, he began to open up. And this is what happened in the war. And this is what happened. And this is what I did. And I'm going to burn in hell. And I'll just pay for my own sins. I'm a man. I'll just pay for my own sins. And I just kept pleading. I mean, five years of this. And he got saved over a year ago. Finally got on a plane to come back to pay the piper. He's, he's submitted so much to Jesus Christ. He says, I don't care if I go to jail for 10 years. I cannot live a life with being an alcoholic without some help. I need help. Veteran, hero, army ranger, sniper, all that stuff. And he finally just said, whatever Jesus Christ wants. I got a picture. I got a video of him getting on that plane in Peru. I couldn't believe he finally did it. He got off the plane. He's like, oh, man, this is going to take months to see a judge. He called me like two days before Christmas. And I told him, you either do what I say or I'm out. I was so frustrated. Everybody's got some kind of advice. Just drove me nuts. Everybody seems to know what to say, to do. And it's like, dude, look, it's, this is the way we do marriage counseling in Ukraine. You do what I say or I'm out. I got a great marriage. I love my wife. I am hers and she is mine and we are happy. And I do not like to sit here for hours listening to your garbage. Amen. <laughs> And I will counsel you. I will show you what the Word of God says. Amen. And He can give it to you too. But you do what this book says or I'm going home. <laughs> you know, and I kind of had to do that with him. Give him the hard love. You know, say, dude, you can listen to them. You can listen to your mom. You can listen to, or you can listen to this book. <laughs> and if you don't, I'm out. I'll pray for you. I'm thankful that you got saved. But man, he finally said, okay, okay, dude. He calls me big guy, big bro, big bro. All right, it hasn't worked out too good for me. <laughs> Do I live in my life my way? I'm willing to try God's way. So he gets on the bus, he, or he gets on the plane, he comes back, they pop him in Fort Lauderdale, they extradite him to New Jersey, and then he calls me two days before Christmas, and it's like, i got to find out what to do with him. And he's like a ticking time bomb. I mean, he's a trained killer. You know, he's kind of freaky. Seriously. I, there was a missionary, we hooked him up with a missionary, and the missionary was like, look, I don't want to be one of his stories. <laughs> he calls me and says, big bro. He says, man, I, can, I tell th th this missionary, is kinda, he walks around me like he's real skittish. He's, really, he's afraid of me. And I was like, you know, dude, <laughs> I understand. I get it. And so he, he calls me up uh, two days before Christmas. You won't believe what happened, big bro. They put me before a judge. He says, he saw my record. They dropped all the charges. I'm a free man. I'm getting out tonight at 7 o'clock. What do I do? <laughs> and I'm like, it's Christmas. This is the first time my kids have been under the same roof in 10 years, you know. God worked it all out. Souls got saved. Why? Because it was inconvenient. Lost days of my life just trying to get him to Jesus Christ. It's not convenient. It's risky. It hurts, you know. But boy, is it ever worth it. Man, is it ever worth it. Being a victim. You can either choose to look back at all these things and the criticism and all this stuff and let that stop you. Or you can look at what David here is saying. He's saying, you know what? This bear showed up one time, and this lion showed up one time, and God did that for me then, and God can do this for me now. And when it comes to prayer requests and, and getting souls saved and, 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 and all these things that are in the Christian life, you can either live a purposeless life or you can kind of stand out a little bit, take some risks, trust God. Take the book and say, you know what, this is what the book says. Society says this is the way we raise kids, but I'm going to do it this way. The world says this is the way we do marriage, but no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to treat my wife like this. 
Women and children first, men. Amen? A life with a cause, and that cause is found. And we don't need to wrap this up. We, just, the, the, we can go on and on and on. Philippians chapter 1. And the question comes back, do you have a cause? And what is your cause? I think it's good to live for your husband. I think it's good to live for your wife. I think you should give your heart to one another after you've given it to Jesus Christ. I think you should live for your family. I think it's good. Live for your kids. You know, Proverbs says, My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. Kids, you need to give your hearts to your parents after you give them to Jesus Christ. Amen? What I'm saying is, if all your reason for living is just your family, what are you going to do when your kids go prodigal? You're going to quit? If all the reason you're living is for your career, what are you going to do when the economy drops out? It dropped out over there. You, don't think, you think we're better than they are? You think it can't happen here? You think you what, can't get fired or laid off? You think another pandemic can't ruin your company? You better have something more than just a career and a job and family or your health or whatever. What are you going to do whenever that you know, trauma or that you know, stress comes on, and that little stealth-hiding little pathogen or that little stealth little genetic predisposition you have in your DNA code that's down in there, and you don't even see it right now? But stress will click that on. It'll create the perfect storm. And all of a sudden, that trauma, that hurt, will click on and you get sick, buddy. My, my wife and I have been working through all these health issues. I'm, she almost died. She almost bled to death right in front of me. I couldn't get her to the doctor. She hemorrhaged. I got second degree, or what do you call it, second, stage two stomach cancer. We came back, they ran tests, they said, you got plutonium in you. You got mercury hiding out in your body. You got all these heavy metals in your system. No wonder I was just, a, I couldn't even make a fist. I had no, it's like my life force, the energy was sapped, it was gone. I couldn't even do that. Coming off the field, it's been, this has been the furlough that we always needed. To get our strength back for one more round, buddy. We want to go back. Amen. One more round, Christian. What is our purpose? What is our cause? What is the reason for living? Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 21. Paul had it. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's it. I'm not always there, I, but I, you know, and sometimes I feel like I'm there, and sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not quite there. That's where we need to be. That's where I want to be. And what that does is it makes sense of it all. Amen. Why do you get up and go another day to that job with those same people and stay in that marriage and stay in this church and stay in that ministry? Amen. Keep on going. What is it? You know, before my first term, it was like, I do this, why? Wow, look at all these souls getting saved. Wow. Baptisms, and I only put the baptisms of the people that I believe really got it and worked out. There's some church discipline people. They didn't get the Hall of Fame. Like, you're not getting in here. <laughs> Amen. But it was the souls, and then that kind of stopped, and then it became, what was the next, you know, reason for going? It was like, oh, we got these people that we led to Christ, and wow, these are amazing Christians now. They have counted the cost, and they're serving Jesus Christ. They're applying the Bible to their lives, and it is amazing. And then, a couple years later, those same people that we've just, man, we would will gladly spend and be spent for you. The knife came out. Right in the back. You talk about the perfect storm to turn on any kind of pre-existing physical conditions. Whew. You know, it was a bombardment. It was like you were literally in the foxhole. You had no time to recover 
the first hit. Almost lost my wife. This happened. Betrayal. Physical problems. The kids. The preacher that I thought was going to take the church, trained him for 20 years, just took up and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Disappointment. Frustration. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And then it was like, just quit. Then, there, then, then, we come back to drop my daughter off and some guys said, Hey, Brother Rue, we want to take you for, um, for breakfast. Okay, yeah. We got a group of us guys and these are real estate guys. These are hedge fund managers, insurance guys. And they say, Brother Rue, what would it take to get you and your family to come back here and start a church? We want a King James Bible-believing church here, and we'll be behind you. All you got to do, just give up your call. And there was a lot of pain associated with the call. I'll tell you how many times I thought of that. I just want to quit. I could just go pastor a church. It would be so much easier than this. But in the back of it all is the call. And it's the one who called. And when it got on, I was like, I can't look at him at that day and be there, the, the guy of an unfulfilled life with an unfulfilled ministry with an unfulfilled call. And I realized it's not about the souls. It's not even about the people. It's not about the results. It's about him. You go because of him. You stay because of him. And it all becomes very, very simple and clear. Amen? It all goes back to Calvary. It's like, son, I understand. You've got to pick up your cross. There's not a lot of that going on nowadays. There's not a lot of preaching about the cross. I mean, his cross, yes. Our cross. Not a lot of that. That's not popular. That doesn't kind of fit into the seven steps to success. You know, but your purpose should be rooted in Jesus Christ. So I just want to say thank you for having me. I just want to ask you again, do you have a cause? What is your cause? Maybe you've gone away from the Lord, and maybe today it's time to kind of get it back and come back to that old simple stuff. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Amen. Thank you. Preacher, would you come?